1 through 18. I've been reading this passage, and I'm going to again read the whole passage to you. Uh, But today we're going to focus on verse 14, and I think 17, 14 and 17. What does it mean that Jesus is the bringer of grace and truth? We are in a five-part series, this is part four out of five, on what does our church stand for? And New Hope's vision is to proclaim the gospel. The gospel is our words about Jesus, that Jesus Christ was crucified to die the death we deserve to die, to give us a life by grace that we could never earn. And today we're going to talk about the importance of grace and truth. Um, <clears throat> So let me read this text. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 18. This is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There it is, Jesus, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There it is again, grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. You'll be okay, Phoebe. (laughs) I'll pray for you right now, okay? (laughs) Let's pray. (laughs) Uh, Pray for Phoebe. Uh, Whatever is disturbing her, let her be be at peace, Jesus. (laughs) Um, But mostly now, let us fix our eyes on you. Because it is only from you flows truth baptizing grace. Grace which is fully and wholly real and true. And that's what we long for. There are so many people, there's the, whether in the church or outside the church, Lord, we desperately long for something so real that we can place our hope in, which is authentic, which is you, God. You, God, the Son, Jesus Christ, who gives us both grace and truth. We thank you that you're this type of God. I pray that your word will go forth now and draw us to yourself in Jesus' name. Amen.
that is Phoebe, right? <laughs> that would be kind of embarrassing if I was the wrong kid, okay? Um, um, three, three, three parts to my message today, as I, as I usually do. Part one, I'm going to talk about the balance of the gospel. The gospel offers a very beautiful and important balance that in our very unbalanced culture, we don't know that we need this balance, but the gospel offers it to us. The balance of the gospel. Part two, I'm going to call it secure yet vulnerable. Part two of this message is about a reality that, need, that I'm going to call secure yet vulnerable. And part three, God and the new humanity. Okay? The balance of the gospel. Um, to start, let me, let me say this. Uh, uh, you hear this buzzword? Within the younger people today, and, and by younger, by the way, um, by younger, I'm, I'm talking about people who are 40 and younger. Okay, so that's as a few of you in here that you, you're not, you don't count, okay? Um, including me. <laughs> uh, I had a nice little experience in first service. I said, I- I'm not one of those people under 40. And, and, and one of the persons looked at me and said, really? <laughs> I said, really? I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't count in that uh, uh, under 40. But the, a lot of the people under 40, especially in the, in the younger generations, they like to say, I'm looking for something authentic. I'm looking for authenticity. And I think they mean this in, in, the, in the biggest way. They mean this broadly. They mean it says, uh, if you say that you have something for me, which is a real hope, is that really real? Is it authentic? You're, you're trying to sell me this product. You're saying it's going to offer me something good in life. Is that authentic? Or are you ripping me off? If you say you really love me and you're going to stick around for the rest of my life, is that authentic? I'm looking for something real. Where it, There's a lot of people today, they, they grew up in broken homes, and, and maybe some of you, you know what that's like. And um, there are families where um, mom and dad, they, dad left, and he was gone when you were eight. That was a really, that was one of the worst days of your life. And some of you, you're, you're, you're in a house where well, mom and dad, they didn't split up, but I, I wish they did. They stayed in the same house. They said these words, I vow, I vow, I promise before God and all these witnesses to love each other. I'll love them through sickness and health, for better or for worse, till death do us part. But in our house, that's, that's not what it was like. And so, people who grew up in the midst of that's brokenness, and then, of course, then there's bombarded with lies, lies, lies all the time, through, whether through your politicians, or through the schools that tell you things, and you're like, hey, the, the schools told us this is what it was really about, but now we're finding out, when you go off 20 years later, that, that was, those were lies. And, of course, there's commercials, so they're lying to you all the time. And movies which tell you a truth, but which isn't really a truth, it's more of a lie. Authentic. I'm looking for that which is authentic. There's, a, there's these, the people in our society who don't go to church, they know that the church, that Christians are proclaiming that we have the truth. We have, we have the truth about the real God. And what is the problem of, real, of humanity? This is the truth. And a lot of people in our society find that proclamation very offensive. 
They say that you think you have the truth, your truth, and then you're saying that everybody else, we don't, therefore, we don't have the truth. And if we don't believe in this truth, then we, we are out of it. And that's, a lot, that's very offensive to a lot of people. Um, and so, but actually, let me put it this way. Let me have a little sympathy with a lot of people who are offended. And I think there's, there's a falsity to uh, an offense. Truth is not an obstacle to getting to the deeper life that you, you're longing for. But um, oftentimes, a lot of times, people in the church, it's, it's not just truth that we have to have. The real truth is always baptized with grace. It's truth and grace. The real truth is truth and grace. Um, that's one way to go. There's an imbalance in our culture. There's kind of like two camps. So if... There's a lot of people in the church that says, we have the truth, you don't got the truth. We're right, you're wrong. Well, too often, that's, that's how sometimes, it's like, we know, it's like we know the right way to be, we know what's right and what's wrong. We know what the right doctrine is. We know what the right practices are. You don't have it. Well, there's truth to that, but if, if it's missing the grace, well, it's not going to come across. And in fact, and that's not missing something small, it's missing something very, very big. Let me put it to you a little bit differently. If you have truth without grace in a very real way, you don't really have the real truth. You don't have the full truth. But there's another camp of folks in our society, and they, are, they typically tend not to be in the church. And what they tend to think is, well, I'm not sure who has real truth. I'm not sure if we need truth. But what we really need, and they don't usually use the word grace what they usually say is, we all just need to accept one another. That's the way they're putting it. It's a kind of secular way of saying we need grace. We need to not judge each other. Let's be tolerant. Let's just all embrace one another. And let's not to get too hung up on your truth versus my truth or what's really truth. Let's just all accept each other. You know what they're really saying? To put it in kind of theological terms, what they're saying is, let's have grace but not truth. Grace but not truth. That's kind of what today's secular relativism is saying. What we really need is grace, but not truth. But that doesn't work. <laughs> you guys know. You guys all know what that's. Come on. Now here's how this works. You start meeting. People, I accept you. I'll be embracing of you. You're being embracing of me. And then you find out a little more about that person. They're racist. You're a racist. Well, you're disgusting. Get out of here. And you're out. This is uh, typical of, of a lot of people are saying we're very, very tolerant. We're incredibly intolerant of people like Christians because you disagree with me on sexual ethics. Well, grace without truth, guess what? I just said the truth without grace isn't real truth. But guess what? Grace without truth isn't also real grace. Let me put it this way. It's strange today that people are often talking about tolerance. The people who think tolerance is the most important virtue, I find that they are often incredibly intolerant. It's like grace without truth, because there's no truth. You, 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 cannot, you can't bypass a truth issue. Because if it's not, if you, don't, if you don't get to what's really true, guess what? You can't get to what's real. <laughs> and if you can't get to what's real, it's not authentic. And we're afraid. Now we're back to square one. We're back to square one Gosh, maybe it's fake. Maybe it's pie in the sky. Maybe it's just baloney. Grace and truth. 
Um, there's a, there's a, you know, the, the people in the churches today, there's a lot of churches today that say, you know, they, they, they're Christian churches, or they say they're Christian churches. They have a cross, they have Bibles, they have doctrines, and some of those doctrines are right. But oftentimes, if you have a bunch of people that have the truth but without grace, they're actually not practicing Christianity. <laughs> they're actually, they say they're practicing Christianity, the truth of Christianity, but they're not saying, oh, the full truth of it. Really, what they're proclaiming is Phariseeism. And I don't blame a lot of people outside the church if they, if they reject that. That's truth without grace. Um, you know, this is just a, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of the, I'm a, there's a difference between being a spot preacher, a guest preacher. <laughs> a guest preacher can show up, you're going to only hear him once. And he can give you his best top two or three sermons. You don't know how he, how, how he preaches the rest of them. He might stink on the rest of them. You guys have to hear me week in and week out. Let me tell you, that's hard. <laughs> That's a hard job. Yeah. One of the hard things about being a, um, a, the regular preacher, the regular feeder of the church, is you get to eat all the food that I feed you. It's like, we already tasted this before, Pastor. Cook something new. I'm like, oh, all right. Cook something new? <laughs> 50 times a year or 45 times a year? That's tough, okay? Um, the parts of the job, uh, one, thing, you know, one of the hard things about just becoming a good preacher is just, one, learning to handle the Bible and being faithful to the Bible. I'm really good at knowing what's in the Bible and, and the theology part. I'm, I'm not trying to brag. You know, I mean, uh, I, I think it's just kind of a fact about me, okay? I'm good at that, okay? God wired me. I'm good at that part. Okay? I, don't, I, don't have, I don't really struggle really hard to do that part of it. I get in the text. I'm like, oh, I see it. I see it. I, I can see the lines. I see the theology. I can see it. And I'm, I have some skill at being able to explain it. That's not the part that's hard for me in prepping the sermon. Right? Um, the tricky part is that a lot of you, the reason you listen to a preacher is because you read the Bible and go, well, I don't get it. <laughs> like, weird, I don't even understand that, that illustration or what the heck is that all about, right? And so what is in, in preaching is you need illustrations. And, and that's the part I'm always fishing for. Every giving, I'm like, here we go again. I'm running the, I'm running the treadmill of il- illustrations, <laughs> okay? And... Um, and so every week I pray, Lord, uh, need another illustration. <laughs> and, uh, and sometimes I, I get to Saturday night and I don't got it, guys. <laughs> and so sometimes on Sunday, if I, I'm like, when I'm preaching, it's kind of like, eh, it's kind of boring today. It's because, hey, it's just, I, I can't cook new stuff all the time, all right? All right? Um, but the Lord is sometimes really gracious. Saturday night, I didn't have it, but he, he handed it to me on like on a platter, okay? We were watching a movie last night. Um, um, I didn't choose to watch this movie. Uh, we, we watched this other movie. It was a family-friendly movie. It was War Horse, Steven Spielberg. Kids watched it. Kind of, yeah, it was bad. I actually didn't really think all that much of it. But anyway, after it was like, all right, we watched the family movie, and then the TV was on. And sometimes Grace watches something that I think is kind of lame. <laughs> but, but I like Grace. I like her. Okay, so uh, just because I feel like being around her, I'll just sit there, even though the thing that's on the 50-incher is, is annoying, okay? <laughs> and that was going on last night. She, had, she let this thing be on TV. And it was this movie called uh, Celeste and Jesse Forever. Any, anybody seen this movie? Nobody's seen this movie. It doesn't surprise me. <laughs> um, um, it's, a, what, it's, a, it's a decent movie. It's not a great movie. I, I actually think it's kind of worth seeing. Uh, I wouldn't go, uh, got to go out and rent it today. 
Um, but uh, Celeste and Jesse Forever, it, it's, it seems like one of those alternative, trendy, cool movies, not big blockbuster movie with like massive like marketing. You know, um, it's one of those hip, cool kind of movies about these hip, cool bohemian people living in this city, struggling with their love life. So here's what, you know, I was like, what's this about, Grace? And then, you know, I'm getting annoyed with this movie. And we have the little button on the remote control that says info. You push that little button. And it tells you this little thing, which is half the time it's wrong, actually. Um, but the, here's what the movie's about. It's about a couple named Celeste and Jesse. They're young, and they're about to get divorced. They've been married about six years, and they're on the verge of divorce. They, were, they met in college, and this couple, they're best friends. But they can't make it work. So they love each other and they hate each other. The other person's their best friend, but they're about to be divorced. And that's what this movie's about. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's kind of interesting. And the, the, actually, the, the central character of the movie is Celeste. And I'll just give you a, a quick little picture of, of Celeste and Jesse. Jesse is, is a bit of a deadbeat, he's kind of an artist. You know, like artist, that's code word for I, don't, I, don't, I make no money, okay? <laughs> I'm an artist. Okay you, okay, you make no money. Okay, got it. All right? He's, he's one of those guys. And he's like an artist, makes no money. His wife, she's, she's disciplined. She has a good job. She's successful. She's like, you know, ambitious. You know, we, we get somewhere in life. We have success. She's like one of those kinds of people. And you can just imagine when those two people are best friends and they marry each other, the, the, the sparks fly. So that's, that's, that's this relationship. And he, he's always been a disappointment to her. It's one of the problems. In the, in the, in the. So there's this one sequence in the, the, in the movie. So Celeste is the main character of the movie. You're following Celeste. For much of the movie, Celeste is either angry <laughs> or depressed or in denial. So she, she's trying to have grace She's trying to have acceptance, but she just can't stand the fact that the truth about him is that, to her, she, he's kind of a loser. That's the truth. Right? And so she's at this party. It's a Halloween party. So she's in this costume. And she's talking to this other guy, so she's kind of attracted to this other guy. He's kind of attracted to her. And you know, you know how these movies go. You're going, I wonder if they're going to end up in the sack together. It's kind of like one of those sequences. And they're off on the side... And throughout much of this movie, there are all these young people, you know, hipsters living in the city, and, and there's constantly people getting drunk, having casual sex, and smoking dope. This movie has, like, there's all these sequences of smoking dope, getting drunk, having sex, and mostly it's because these people are either doing denial or avoidance or just trying to, this is the way they deal with the pain in their life. That's what this movie is filled with. So, they're, they're there, they're, they're drunk, and they have done dope, and they're having this conversation with this guy who's, who's hitting on her. And somehow it comes up that she's about to get a divorce. And then she starts to basically say, what I really want from him, she's talking about her husband, is I want him to admit that I'm right. And if he changed, it would work. I want him to admit that I'm right. And then the other guy says something very interesting. And then now this is when I actually got interested in the movie. He goes, you can either be right or you can be happy. You can either be right or you can be happy, but they don't necessarily go together. 
And it's actually interesting because he's saying actually a, a quick little piece of wisdom. And you guys all know what this is like. Sometimes, you know, if you really are loving someone, it's, more, it's less important to know the truth and to, like, you know, can you kind of hold that part back and to be right. You guys know that, right? But he's saying this is sort of like his philosophy of life. We don't have to know what's right. Let's just be happy. You hear it? That's the secular relativist grace without truth. He's, he's voicing that right there in the movie. And then, but her, her response to what his line was, she goes, but I am right. I am right. And if, and, um, and, and I'm, I, and I'm, and it's better to be right even though I'm not, even though I'm not happy because at least it's real. I'm keeping it real. Hear, hear what she's saying? She's the truth without grace. Hear that conversation? Grace without truth. Let's be happy. But we don't have to be right. <laughs> she's like, but I am right. And then you know what his response to her saying that? He, he, kind of, he gets taken aback. Remember, they're, all, they're both kind of stoned on dope. <laughs> he says, this, this was her costume, by the way. She was wearing a, a white trash bag. What, what do you think her, her, her costume was? I'm not that clever. I didn't figure it out. What it, what is it? She, she's wearing a white trash bag around her. She, her costume is white trash. It's a Halloween party. <laughs> I was like, okay, white trash, clever. I'm, I'm not, that's too clever for me, okay? But the, so this guy is looking at this woman wearing this, this trash bag, and he says to her, he's like saying, I, she goes, I'm right. And, I, and even though I'm not happy, at least it's real. And he goes, you know, in his drunken stupor, he says, he says, that may be the most self-righteous monologue ever given by a person wearing a white trash bag. <laughs> that, that was a good line. And I was like, okay, that, that, was the, that, was the, that was the funniest line in the whole movie, by the way, I thought. <laughs> and that, that made me want to watch the movie. It's the problem of grace and truth and why we need the balance in the gospel of grace and truth. I'm going to part two. Secure yet vulnerable. What do I mean by secure yet vulnerable? I, I'm a pastor, and, and 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 you know, and I minister, and and I and I visit other churches. Um, let, let me tell you something. Um, just because they have the right doctrine, and just because they have the Bible and they have the cross on the outside, that doesn't necessarily mean that's the church I want to go to. I go, I've been to lots of churches, and I'm like, I don't want to go here. <laughs> I'm even really rude sometimes. I'm like, this church sucks. <laughs> Why do I say that? What I'm really looking for is not, because people say this, oh, I believe in this, and, or let's follow Jesus, and, and they say with their mouth the right things. But when you actually look at the person, their face, their heart, their personality, the way they do relationships, you know what I see? They, they are closed off. <laughs> it's like, there's no vulnerability. And, and everybody in the room is kind of like that. It's like, we're all cleaned up. We're good. It's like, we're pretending to be secure, but no vulnerability. Let, let me give you a little secret. If a person's never vulnerable, they're insecure. They're not secure. It's a weird thing about putting up the secure front. If you put up the secure front... If you're wise, I mean, and, and I'm wise enough to know, oh, you're insecure, got it. You act secure all the time, no vulnerability, 
insecure. <laughs> it's odd. But at the same time, we don't want to be the person that's falling apart. My life is, I'm just falling, I'm just depressed, I'm angry. That's, by the way, that's from the movies. It's just like, like people just bleeding pain throughout the whole movie. So then they get drunk and they do dope. That's what, that's what the movies was like, okay? But, you know, we, we don't want to be that in the movie. Um, so so we, we pretend like we have our all act together. So we don't want to be just vulnerable without secure, being secure. But we don't want to be secure without being vulnerable. It's odd. Vulnerable without secure is just broken. Secure without vulnerable is actually not even secure. It's insecure. If you, want to, if you ask me, what is the kind of a little bit of the magic elixir that I'm looking for when I go to church and when I want to really know that God has been met, when people really believe in the gospel, it's that. You can't fake it. You can't fake that. Secure yet vulnerable. They'll let you in. Here's what I'm afraid. Here's where I hurt. Here's what I'm ashamed of. And when you go into a setting and people are secure yet vulnerable and they let you in and they hang out together like this, you know, it's, it's kind of magical. And you can't quite put your finger on it, but it's just beautiful and attractive. You know what that is? The Bible has a word for that. It's called Holiness. It's grace and truth. And you can't fake it. You can't produce it. It's not man-made. Only God does it. You have to meet the real person. Truth, is, the Bible's odd. The Bible says the truth is not just ideas. It's a person. That's what Jesus says. The Gospel of John, he goes and says, I'm the truth. Do you realize this person who is the truth? He's full of grace. He goes to a cross. The cross tells us we deserve this death. But then he dies the death we deserve. So he can give us a grace. But it's not just you're saved by grace, now you get to go to heaven. But truth and grace, it changes the person itself. It changes who you are. It changes your heart. It changes how you relate to other people. It changes the community. It changes the very dynamics. It changes relationships. Um... This is super. Uh, I've been doing this little. Uh, I've been doing some some premarital counseling to a particular unnamed couple in the church. Most of you know this couple. They're about to get married, and by the way, and I and I told them, guess what? You have to have the gospel because it's it's not even just this secure yet vulnerable. This isn't just like some little trick in the church. This is a, like this is a part of the secret of life itself. You want a good marriage? You need secure yet vulnerable. If you always have the walls up, that marriage is going to break. And if you just bleed on each other all the time, you'll just, they'll just fall apart. You need secure yet vulnerable in the marriage. So guess what? Husbands and wives, you need grace and truth. And where does that come from? Through Jesus. In so many different ways. So it's, it's not a trick, guys. It's not something I can make you do. <laughs> I cannot produce. The pastor can't produce. I can't put you through a class. If you plunk through this class and jump all these hoops, you'll come out gospeled on the other end. No. Actually, we'll find out. Are you secure yet vulnerable? And that's how you approach people. 
then we'll know you have grace and truth. You have Jesus in you. Let me go to the third last part of my message. God and the new humanity. It just produces a new quality of people. Whenever I hear a young person say, I'm looking for authenticity, I'm thinking, you don't know it, but you're looking for a, a holiness. You're looking for redeemed human beings. You're looking for a redeemed community. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for grace and truth. When I give people this advice, I give, um, I give advice to college students who go off to, you know, how do I find a good church pastor? I, I usually give them a couple pieces of advice. I said, number one, when they, the guy who's preaching up front and the people who lead, are they really strong on the gospel? Jesus Christ crucified, salvation by grace. They beat that drum like crazy because <laughs> they just love it so much. They just know this is so important. This is the power. That's the first thing I look for. I go, but here's the second thing I look for. I said, is the Holy Spirit in the room? And then they go, well, they're looking at me like, usually I'm sitting across this college kid. And then I go, do you know how to figure out the Holy Spirit's in the room? They're like, no. <laughs> they're going, no, pastor. I go, well, here's how, here's how it looks. Here's how it looks. And I just tell them certain things. There's a person in the corner of the room. The gospel is being preached. And they just weep. Everybody else in the room thinks it's normal. <laughs> They're not even bothered by it. Of course you can weep here. See, you know what that is? Secure yet vulnerable. And when people talk, they don't just talk about football or movies or the NFL. They talk about God, secure yet vulnerable. And you know the Holy Spirit's in the room. The real God when the real God is in the room, he affects human beings. This is what he does. Look, guys, this is just, if any important person walks in the room, he'll affect the room. Okay? If Michael Jordan were to walk in the room, let me tell you, he'd disrupt the room. His, his effects would hit the room. If Barack Obama were to walk in this room, his, he would have an effect upon, on people in the room. You don't think if God Almighty were to walk into the room, he affects the room. He affects the people in the room. When God comes in, this is what he does. He produces this new humanity. Let me close this uh, with this story. I, um, I have a friend. He's a pastor. He's a Korean-American guy. And for a time, he was an assistant pastor. As, you know, as he was maturing in his ministry, he got a chance to be an assistant pastor at this, at this very beautiful church, which is out in Queens, Elmhurst. I forget the name of the church. I think it's called like a... I don't know, living Grace, New Life, oh, New Life Fellowship or something like that, right? But um, this church is in Queens, and for those of you who know anything about New York, Queens is not the expensive part of town. <laughs> that is not the, the, the pretty part of town. Um, it's one of those five boroughs, and Elmhurst is incredibly diverse. It may be one of the most racially, ethnically diverse places on the planet, quite literally. And that church is right smack in there. And he got a chance to pastor in this fairly, uh, it's, it's, it's poor neighborhood uh, with this incredibly diverse church. Now this pastor friend of mine, um, he did his undergraduate studies at Harvard. Really smart guy. Very, very smart guy. Okay? And, um, and he told me about something that he saw in his church. He knew a guy, I mean he wasn't close friends with this guy. When he was in college, he, he, he had become acquaintance with this other 
guy, um, he was Korean, but this guy he was talking, he was Chinese. And I can't remember his name. Um, he had this really Chinese name, so I'm just, I'm just going to call him Yao Ming, okay? <laughs> I'll just call him Yao, right? So I'm sorry if you're Chinese, and I'm just like, that sounds really stupid, okay? But like, <laughs> I'm just going to call him Yao, all right? So he, he, he described Yao to me. And so this is what Yao is like. Yao came from a very successful Chinese family. Yao was brilliant, crazy smart. So when you guys were in school, you guys knew that kid who got an A in everything. <laughs> I mean, you, you're, you're, you're working hard, and some of you maybe not working hard, but there was that one kid, he, got, he was the top student in every subject. He was the top kid. That, that's Yao, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And, um, and Harvard is full of students where they were like that, okay? But this, at Harvard, there are, you, you have to just imagine what Harvard must be like. You have the top kid in every class that you went to. He goes to Harvard. And then they go to Harvard, and then they, they all can't be the top kid, right? Then there is the top kid <laughs> among all the top kids, where they look at him and they're like, man, I was the smartest rock at my school. This dude is the smartest rock. He's just on another level. That's Yao. Okay, everybody at that school is straight A. Yao was straight A+. Plus. Okay. Yao apparently like double majored. Okay. Yao, and it wasn't like some fluff major. I think one of them was physics. It's like one of the hardest majors there is. <laughs> and he rocked every class. You know, like physics. And I think he majored like in economics, like physics and economics, okay? Now, um, you, you guys know that if there is a highly desired skill, people go find the places. So, you know, if there's some hotshot high school out here that produces the best quarterbacks, you know that the top colleges in the country will send their coaches to that school to go find that kid. That's what happens. But this happens in, in, the, in the smart money world, too. Wall Street sends their people to go find the smarty pants dudes, and where do they find? They go to places like Harvard, and they go find the Yao's. So Yao apparently rocked all of his classes in both of his majors and finished in three years. It's just, just, just insane. Like this, this Harvard guy is telling it to me. And even as he talks about it, he's, it's sort of like I'm just thinking, like, I get it. There are great basketball players, and there's, then there's LeBron. Okay? Yao is like Harvard LeBron. Okay? And um, he, he, he was describing this guy to me. Even as he's describing it, he kind of describes him with a kind of awe. <laughs> Remember, this is a Harvard pastor here. Okay? He describes him with a certain kind of awe. He's like, Yao was crazy. He's like, awesome. Awesome. Okay? But though Yao was raised to be A-plus in all his classes and to be A-plus, not just A, an A-plus in his career, and he did, Wall Street, Wall Street, the guys who make billions of dollars go to Harvard to go find Yao's and say, we'll give you millions of dollars, you crunch the numbers for us so we can keep making billions of dollars. That's how it works. So Yao lived in New York. He lived in Manhattan because that's, you know, according to the New Yorkers, the center of the universe. <laughs> he lived in Manhattan, because that's where it's close to work. But he didn't go to church in Manhattan. He went to church on the other side of the river. 
in Queens. He grew up in a family. They didn't believe in Jesus. He was taught his whole life by his parents, this is how to be, have success in your life. He apparently just could do it. And had BA plus all the way across. But though Yao was A plus in his classes, in his career, he wasn't A plus in his friendships. I actually met the guy. He was a, he was a tall Chinese guy. Not as tall as the Yao Ming. Okay? He was more like 6'2 tall, not 7 foot 6 tall. Okay? And he was a tall guy, but he was, he was very shy. He was socially awkward. And he was A-plus in school and in career, but not with friendships. And he, in college, he heard the gospel. And he heard the gospel something like this. Um, Jesus is the God for people who get Fs in life. And that spoke to the owl. Despite the fact that he had on the outside every piece of success in the inside of his heart, all of that treadmill of chasing A-plus all the time gave him tremendous pain. And when he went to church, he wasn't interested in going to church with the other masters of the universe. He found this church in Queens. And what my pastor friend told me is, so... Yao is in the small group. And his best friend is in that small group. Let me tell you what his best friend is like. So he told me about another guy. Yao is a Chinese brilliant guy, tall Chinese brilliant guy um, in his early 30s. His best friend was a white guy, middle-aged, shorter guy. I forget his name, I'm just going to call him Mike. Okay, Mike, that seems like a good middle-aged white guy's name, okay? <laughs> I'll call him Mike, right? Mike, um, Mike came from a broken family. Mike was often unemployed. Mike had spent some time in his life living on the streets. Mike had, before he'd become a Christian, been a heroin addict. Those two guys met in that community group. They became best friends. Secure yet vulnerable. Grace and truth. See, I don't think when Yao and Mike get together, they probably don't talk about their jobs. Half the time, Mike maybe doesn't have a job. They probably don't talk about the NFL. And they don't talk about what they bought at the store last week. They don't talk about the latest app on their iPhone. I don't think Mike has an iPhone. They talk about grace and truth they've received. And they practice a friendship built on two hearts that are secure yet vulnerable. When you see that, you know God's in the building. When my pastor friend told me, he goes, this happens in our church. I looked at my friend, my pastor friend says, I want to go to your church. That's the church I want to go to. You ask me what is the vision of our church. That's the vision of our church. That's the church I want to go to. That's not, that's the church I want to lead, pastor. You're a great pastor. This is, this is like the go, go, go church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about because I am a sinner. Because I'm a Pharisee. Constantly tempted toward truth without grace. Because 
I am a hurting, broken human being. That's the church I want to go to. You want to talk about the vision of this church? It's right there. That's it. Grace and truth. People who love each other, secure yet vulnerable. And I pray there'll be so many more Mike and Yow's. Susie and, I don't know, Joan. (laughs) Secure yet vulnerable. Only through grace and truth. Only through Jesus. Let's pray. That's the dream of our church, dear Jesus. Your scriptures teach that if there's grace and truth from Jesus Christ, this could happen. Not that it could happen, it does happen. Seemingly straight-laced religious pharisaical people might throw a dinner party. But hurting, broken, sinful people show up. And the pharisaical people get on their knees and say, I'm with you. I need truth and grace. I need forgiveness and washing. I need to be loved with truth and grace. This is real. This is authentic. This is the most authentic thing there is. It is the most powerful hope that's authentic there is. Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. Lord, would you make that the hope that New Hope offers? Lord, we thank you for the, the transparency in this community. We thank you for the ways that we try to be honest. And sometimes it's hard. We're, we're real with each other. And then we grind up against each other. And we fight. Or we run away. There's a lot of fear, Lord, in our community. Fear of letting down our guard. Fear of dropping the privacy. Fear that if we do it, then we'll just hate each other and bump up against each other. Fear across the cultural divide. Fear across the generations. But Lord... May our church be filled with mics and yows, as only you can do, as only you can do. Fill us with grace and truth. Lord, will you walk into this room and affect this room, affect this community with grace and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.